0: It's so encouraging hearing all that chatter as uh, we get to know each other better as a family in Christ. I'm sure there have been lots of uh, interesting stories. of something that you've had to prepare well in advance for. My name's Bonnie. I am um, Pastor Matt's wife. I'd love to meet you if we haven't already, and that's a lot of you. Um, So do come and say hi over lunch uh, if you get the chance. Um, We are going to spend some time reading the Bible together. Um, And uh, look, isn't it amazing and awesome that we... um, I've been, you know, spoken to directly in the Bible, uh, God's Word to us, and uh, let's pray now um, that we would be uh, prepared as we um, read his Word and uh, hear from Iggy this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, Lord, so much for your Word to us, the Bible, that it is a lamp for our feet, a light to our paths. Please, by your Spirit, prepare our hearts and minds to be taught, rebuked, corrected and trained in righteousness as we read it together today. Amen. So our passage today is from the book of 1 Peter. Uh, We're reading chapter 1 from verses 13 through to 25. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober... Was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have a sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart.
1: The future changes how we live right now. Um, I know every time uh, a baby's coming for us in the family, uh, and that's been five times now, uh, it changes everything. That, That impending date of a baby coming, it's battle stations, all right? You gotta get ready, you gotta get the cot set up, you gotta buy the nappies, you gotta get the formula all set up. But the biggest thing that you have to do is you have to mentally prepare. You gotta psych yourself up, for the lack of sleep, the, you know, the nappy changes, all that stuff. It's a, it's a mental preparation, it's battle stations. you got to be at the ready. And I wonder what you guys discussed in your little conversations there. Uh, maybe it was, um, you know, uh, I was talking to the boys, you know, preparing for a job, uh, there's a job interview coming, there's preparation, you've got to get ready for that. Uh, maybe it's a, a wedding coming, there's a lot of preparation for that. Some of you guys are in that process right now. Um, and, or exams. You've got to study for exams, or well, at least you should, students, talking to you guys, yeah? Not just the last night, I've done that a few times. The future changes how we live right now. So how does your future hope as a Christian, if you trust in Jesus Christ, change things right now, today? That's a big question, and that's a very important question, and let, let me tell you, it changes everything, but how? Well, let's have a look at 1 Peter today. Uh, just to give you a little bit of context, especially if you haven't joined us uh, last week, it's great that you're here if you're your first time with us here at CPE Church. Uh, last week we saw the Apostle Peter, this book is written by the Apostle Peter, a follower of Jesus Christ, talking to Christians who have been scattered all around, their, uh, away from their homeland, and he's reminding them of the great hope they have, the future hope that they have. He describes it in a few different ways. Um, last week we saw from Pastor Matt, um, it's a living hope, it's an inheritance, it's salvation. He's talking about what's coming at the end, that perfect uh, new creation where we'll see God face to face, where we are forgiveness of sins, where we'll receive all the heavenly blessings that we've been promised. That's what he's um, alluding to. That's what he's talking to about our future hope. This is a living hope. It's an eternal hope. It doesn't ever fade. And today, um, in this passage, he starts to draw out some broad implications of what this hope is supposed to do in our lives. And he actually does that by giving a set of clear imperatives, which are commands. All right? So there's a lot of commands, things for us to live by in this passage, to shape our lives as God's people. Okay? So that's to give you a bit of context. So keep your Bibles open to that passage. That's what we'll be referring to. That's what we'll be referring to, that passage. Uh, so keep it open. And this is our first point. It's to set your hope on Christ's return. Set your hope on Christ's return. So 1 Peter 1, 13, read that with me in your Bibles. I think it's on the screen as well. If you don't have your Bibles, have a look in your Bibles. It <clears throat> um, says this, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Um, the verse, this verse actually starts with a state of being that we're supposed to have as Christians. Did you see that? It's that uh, minds that are alert, and fully sober. Minds that are alert and fully sober. Um, the literal words uh, are gird your loins. Have you ever heard that term before, gird your loins? Uh, it was a very familiar metaphor in the ancient world where men and women, they used to all wear long flowing robes, so if they were to get ready for some action, you know, whether it's um, work or battle, they had to gird their loins. I've, got, I've actually found a diagram of that. Don't worry, it's, 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 an, it's a good diagram, here we go. <clears throat> this is how you gird your loins, all right? You got to tie it up. Um, I won't ask anyone to demonstrate, but I don't know if you'll ever have to do this. But this was very, this was a very, uh, you know, present thing in the ancient world. You need to get your robe out of the way. You didn't. You, there was nothing. You, you had to be ready. Nothing was to trip you up. Okay? In Exodus twelve eleven, actually, the people of Israel. Let me. Here's a passage from Exodus twelve eleven. The people of Israel to eat the first Passover, just before the Exodus, with, uh, with your loins girded, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. What does this mean? Well, they had to be ready to leave Egypt. They had to be ready to go. When God says go, they had to go. All right? And I love this imagery. I reckon we should start using that word a bit more. Let's gird our loins. You know, Let's um, get ready. It's a picture of high alert being prepared for action like soldiers on a battlefield, to have, the, have your minds just prepared to go. But for what? Well, it says, Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Friends, what we need to be ready for is the return of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Don't forget this. He is Coming back. Jesus is coming back. We don't know the hour. We don't know the time, the place, but He will come back. And when He does so, everything will change. He's coming to restore this world. He's He's coming to do away with sin and death once and for all. A new heaven and a new earth. It's a new creation, a restoration. And Christ will bring us the fullness of our salvation. New redeemed bodies. Perfect, intimate relationship with our God as we see Him face to face. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, that's the promise. That's what's coming. This is the grace that Jesus Christ will bring as He returns. What a wonderful promise. And this, friends, is what we are to set our hope on. Set our hope on. This is the imperative from God's Word today. This is what it says. This is a command, actually. Set your hope of the grace that Jesus Christ will bring when he returns. Which means every aspect of our lives right now should be shaped around that future hope that Jesus is bringing, the future reality of his return and the grace he brings. So here's my question, brothers and sisters. The first question to ask you is, um, does your life reflect this? Does your life reflect this? Let me make a confession. So often for me, my life does not reflect this. Um, I sort of, you know, I'm a pastor. I should be shaping my life around eternity, the future, all these things. Um, And I sort of know, yes, of course I believe these things are coming. But so often I think my life is a very now-focused life. I just think about all the things I need to do right now. I need to think about all the things that I need to get done on my to-do list that I'm busy with right now and the, the reality of Christ's return is very distant in my mind. I don't know if that's how you feel sometimes. <clears throat> it's very easy for me to be now focused, to just be reacting to things around me, putting out the fires that come up, just getting things done day to day. And as I do that, Christ's return is very far away. Friends, there's so many things in our lives that can distract us, right? Right? The job that just keeps demanding more and more hours, the performance of our kids in, you know, academics, sports, music, whatever it is. The next holiday that we want to take, that country that I want to visit, tick off my bucket list, start preparing for that. <coughs> Excuse me. The next house I want to buy, because everyone else is upgrading, got to keep up. And these distractions, they make us lose focus, our minds are not alert. <clears throat> Have you ever um, waited at the traffic light? And you're waiting at the traffic light and um, you're waiting for the light to turn green, uh, but then you start daydreaming, start thinking about something else, da-da-da, and all of a sudden, you know, light turns green, but you don't even notice, and then someone starts honking behind you, are like, oh, okay, gotta go. Have you ever had that experience? Give me a nod, that's you. Yeah, we've all done it, right, come on. Um, I think sometimes that's a bit of like a description of our Christian life. Yeah, We're sort of waiting for Christ to return, right? We're, we're, you know, we're in the car. We believe it's going to happen. We're on the journey. You know, we're waiting. We're sort of there. But as we're focused on all these other things in life, we're just so distracted. We're not alert. We're not alert. Occasionally we get shocked into waking up. Maybe it's a sermon, a Bible study. Maybe it's a conversation with a friend. But so easy to drift off and start daydreaming again, to start thinking about all these other things in the world. And our focus is on everything else besides our destination, besides what's coming, besides Christ's return. Thanks, Jane. I love my MTS apprentices. They're so great, aren't they? Thank you, Jane. Friends, are you ready for Christ's return? We can only be ready if we keep being reminded about Christ's return. And where do we find that? In God's word given to us. We can only be ready if we keep beholding the truths of Scripture over and over and over and over and over. over. Not only here on a Sunday, not only here, not only in our life groups, but every day. As we behold the gospel every day, how often do you think of your future hope? How often? Open your Bibles and you can't not think of these things, because scripture is saturated in the truth of Christ's return and what he will bring. And as we dwell on these things, well, it transforms the way we live. And a core part of this is what? Well, it's to be holy. Be holy. Have a look at verse 14 with me. Verse 14. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires he had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Now, holiness, maybe that's not the first thing you think about. When you think about Christ's return and future hope and um the connection that is probably not the first thing you jump to, but in the mind of the Apostle Peter, hope and holiness, they go hand in hand. A key part of how we are to be alert, how we are to be prepared for Christ's return is to be holy. To be holy. And Peter starts by drawing a sharp contrast to the past life and the present life of the Christian. Look at verse 14. It says, Do not conform to the evil desires you had. And this is talking about the sinful, selfish heart desires For sex, wealth, power, pleasure, that selfish drive. Um, That life that you did because you lived in ignorance. That's what it says. But this isn't the case now. If you are a Christian, you have been born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's what 1 Peter 1, verse 3. And the call for you now is to leave that sinful past behind you and to move forward to holiness, when the Bible uses the word holy, it's talking about being set apart for God. That's what it means. To be unique, to stand out, to be pure. We are to be shining beacons in a world of darkness. The core reason for this is this. Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is as it is written, be holy because I am holy. Holy. Sorry, my highlights aren't working, so, um, but the passage is on the screen. If you are a Christian, God has called you to holiness. And just as a side point, this is how the word calling is used in the Bible, just as a side point. It is about salvation and it is about holiness. If you want to talk about God's calling in your life, this is it. This is how the Bible uses the word. And the reason for this calling is because He is holy. Be holy because I am holy. That is what God says. Our God is a transcendent, holy God, so far set apart, so utterly apart from anything and everyone. This is, he's the one supremely set apart, utterly majestic, completely pure. I always think of that scene in Isaiah 6 where uh, the prophet Isaiah goes into the heavenly throne room, sees God, and the angels are flying around the throne singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And Isaiah falls down in his face and he's like, I'm, I should die because I'm in the presence of the holy God. That's, that's a little snapshot of God's glory. And our high calling is to actually mirror this holiness. Us, his people, reflecting that holiness, the holiness of of our Almighty God. Not just sometimes, but did you see what verse 15 says? It says, in all you do. In all you do. Now I wonder if you realise what a weighty responsibility this is. The quote, be holy because I am holy, is from Leviticus 19. This has been the call for God's people right from the start, and it remains to this day. We are to stand out in this world. People are to look look at us and clearly see that our God is holy. We are His ambassadors. But on an even more basic level, this is God's plan for our relationship with Him. This is about us and Him. We are to relate to Him as, as the passage says, obedient children to their Father. That's what the passage says. And And the call for this is holiness. Friends, I hope you see... Now, holiness is profoundly important. We need to remember this as a church. We need to do everything we can to be holy people. This is not a side issue. This is not an optional extra to, okay, trust in Jesus Christ. We've got that done. And this is like, you know, if you can get there, do this. This is, this is the core thing. And this isn't a passive thing that just happens. We need to be active. We need to be on high alert, really fighting for this. This is why verses like 1 Corinthians 6:18 says this. It says, flee from sexual immorality. Flee from sexual immorality. And let me tell you, in my years of pastoral ministry, this is the number one killer of holiness in the church. Sexual sin. It's the number one killer. That's why we need to be serious about it, friends. That's why we need accountability software on our phones and computers to... That's why we need to be wary about using these things late at night when no one's around. That, that matters. That's why dating couples shouldn't be spending time alone behind closed doors with no one else around in each other's bedrooms. That's why we shouldn't be going away together as couples alone or living together before we're married. Not because we want to be legalistic killjoys, not because we want to be self-righteous, but because Holiness matters more to God than you can ever imagine, friends. Which means we have to flee from any temptation to fall into sin. Friends, we can't live our life getting as close to the cliff as we can before we fall off. Getting as close to sin as we can. Putting ourselves into that temptation. But to run, we need to run the other direction. We need to actively pursue Holiness. Actively pursue it. These situations that I've described, the situation, um, the temptation of sin has increased a hundredfold. Sexual sin is so strong, that temptation. So I just plead to you for the sake of yourself and for the sake of our Holy God, please stay away from situations that would cause you to sin. Too much is at stake. Friends, Our call is to pursue our holy God. We are to be holy because He is holy. And this really, really matters so much. Brothers and sisters, is there a sin that you need to get rid of today? Let me ask you, what is killing your holiness? What is killing your holiness? Is it sexual sin? Is it pride? Is it anger? Is it gossiping about people? Is it lying? Is it greed? What is it? What is it that's killing your holiness? Our call is to instead kill this sin, to do whatever it takes to be holy in all we do. This isn't an optional extra, friends. This is the main game. This is what we've been saved for, saved for. 1 Peter 1 17 says this, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Uh, Peter reminds his readers, even though we are Christ- uh, as Christians, we have the certainty of forgiveness, but we're not to forget who God is. He's not only the holy God, he's a God who judges. We should have an awesome reverence uh, for, for him. This should further motivate our holiness. And I love the next bit because it's a reminder that we haven't just been saved from sin and judgment but saved for holiness. Have a look at verse 18 with me. Have a look at verse 18. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. Friends, here's here's, here's something amazing. We've been redeemed. We've been redeemed from the empty way of life we once had unholiness, sin, redemption means we've been released from the slavery that sin and death had over us. It means we're we're released from that. We've been saved from that. And what was the price of this redemption? It wasn't silver or gold. It was something much, much more precious. Verse 19 and 21. We've been redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to us by our ancestors, not with silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him so your faith and hope are in God. And once again, we return to the Exodus themes. We see Jesus being painted as a Passover lamb, the perfect sacrificial lamb who died for us even though he was pure, He didn't deserve to, yet he paid the price for our sin. It cost him his life. Why does this all happen? Verse 20, did you notice this little line in verse 20? He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. For your sake. Did you realize that? Right from the start, God had a plan for Jesus to save you. A plan that would cost him everything, even his only beloved son. Why? What's for your sake? For you. We are redeemed so we can have a future certain hope that will never perish. A hope that changes everything for us right now. We're redeemed And as we do, as that happens, we aren't just saved from sin. Friends, we've got to remember this. We are saved for holiness. We aren't just saved from sin. We are saved for holiness. Friends, this is what Jesus died for. Which is why as people of Christ, we need to put holiness back on the agenda. Uh, Let me just say, I think we're scared to talk about holiness nowadays. I think we're scared to talk about it. I think there's a fear to call sin what it is. I think we're afraid to rebuke our brothers and sisters when it's in need. I think it's a problem for the modern church today. And I think the, the core reason behind that, there's probably a lot of reasons, is that we don't want to be seen as being judgmental, right? Like that's part of our fear. We don't want to be seen as being ungracious or legalistic. Or... So instead, we say nothing. Friends, if you really think holiness matters, if we really think holiness matters, then we need to start helping each other in this. this is a, holiness is a community project. It can't be something we battle with by ourselves in the dark. So if you think your brother or sister in Christ is in a relationship which is not helping their holiness, I'd encourage you to say something. If you think your fellow Christian is taking an unhelpful job, which means more money, but they can't come to church, they can't come to life group, they're sacrificing their family, then I think you need to say something. If you think your brother or sister in Christ is using their money in an unwise way, that they're giving in to greed, then I'd encourage you to say something. Because, friends, here's the alternative. When, when we say nothing, we are actually saying something. We're saying it's okay. That it doesn't matter. Brothers and sisters, if, if we want to truly love each other, we need to speak up about sin. But do so in a gentle, loving way. Don't assume anything. Check your heart too, that self-righteousness isn't the thing that's driving you. But approach a friend, and it might just look like this. You might just say, "Hey, hey man, I heard that you're thinking about taking this new job. Just wanted to ask about that a little bit. I'm just a bit concerned for you as a brother that it might be unhelpful for you spiritually, and I wanted to understand that decision a bit more. Start the conversation. That could be the difference between your friend pursuing holiness or drifting away from Jesus. could be the difference. Let me tell you, I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for some YF leaders back when I was attending YF here having hard words with me. I I can guarantee you that. Having hard words with me about stopping getting drunk, challenging me about dating non-Christian girls. I probably wouldn't be here as your pastor right now if it wasn't for those hard conversations. Friends, holiness is a community project because we are to be a community of love. It is our final point love one another. 1 Peter 1, verse 22. Have a look at this with me, verse 22. It's about love. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Peter makes a connection about being purified in obedience. Uh, He isn't talking about workspace salvation, he's talking about obeying the truth, accepting the gospel message of Christ, that he purifies us, our identity as holy people. Here's another reminder. And the outworking of this is what? It's love. Love one another deeply from the heart. Now I think we all know love is important, whether we're Christian or not, but this deep affection that we're called for, that's been called for here is actually impossible by ourselves, because if if you look inside yourself right, you know you're inherently selfish. If you have any doubts, you can spend five minutes with any children, it will come out very, very quickly. We don't teach them that, it's there deep down. And that's why we need a complete heart change, which is why Peter goes on. My slides are working. Yep, thanks Gary. For you have been born again, verse 23, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. Through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glories like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Friends, the word of God transforms us. We know that. We've seen that gospel gives us hope that completely reshapes our lives. And here we're reminded again, this is a supernatural work. It's a new life. It's a new birth. You have been born again. This is what this passage says. We are new creations, new people. We don't belong to the old way of life. And this new life we have is not temporary. It's eternal. This is the difference. Look, it's born not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. And how? through the living and enduring word of God. I feel like nowadays nothing is relevant for very long, is it? Something that was viral last week uh, is forgotten before you know it, and a new trend pops up, and it's exhausting trying to keep up. I did a survey on Facebook. I don't know if you saw it. has some interesting results, but uh, yeah, here's a slide of some things that used to be cool that aren't cool anymore. I don't know if any of those things resonate with you. Yeah, I see some guilty smiles. Yeah, uh, these are things that used to be cool. If you're young here, like I know the teens over there, are like, what are these things? What's going on? Um, but these things that used to be cool—they're not cool anymore. Things that are relevant in this world pass by very quickly. But God's word is not like that. It's enduring. It's imperishable. It will last into eternity, and it transforms lives right now. And one of the key ways it does, does this is by love. Christians love in a way that they couldn't without Jesus Christ. From John 13, Jesus says this, but this is, this is how everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. This is what sets us apart from the world, friends. A deep love. People should look at us and say, something's different here about these people. We should stand out because we love it in a way that the world cannot. Friends, how are you going at that? How are you going at love? I want to talk briefly about one thing that I think is stopping us loving well. Um, It's a lack of margin. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is that our lives are so busy We're so filled with the brim, we're so scheduled, we got things on all the time, whether it's social, whether it's work, whether it's whatever it is, that we just don't have any capacity anymore to love other people. But here's the thing, people's needs, they don't work to a schedule, do they? When people need love, when they have a need, it's not something that fits in nicely. When, When someone has just had a baby, when someone's family member dies, when someone's having a mental health breakdown, you can't just schedule that in for three weeks from now to help them, to love them, can you? If you wanna love them, you need to have the capacity to do that right then. But so many of us don't. And I say this as someone who's so often guilty of this. So perhaps brothers and sisters, if we, if we do wanna do better at loving one another, we need to reorganize our lives a bit. Maybe we need to do less. Maybe we need more margin, more capacity. Then maybe we can actually ask if people need help and then be able to actually help when they give us a response. Our call, friends, is to love one another deeply from the heart. Let me finish with a few questions. or let me, I'll go there in one sense. As we conclude... Let me just say this passage is a challenging one. We've seen big, three big imperatives. Set your hope on the grace that great Christ will bring. Be holy and love one another. And the Apostle Paul isn't being shy and saying that this hope that we have in the future, it needs to change things right now. There are things in our lives and behaviour that need to change in light of this. We shouldn't be ashamed of saying that. You need a, I hope you're asking these questions. How can I be more eternity-focused? What sin do I need to kill? How can I love my brothers and sisters better? But as you do that, I want to encourage you and remind you that you won't get that perfect. It's a spiritual battle. We're going to to struggle at these things. We're going to fail at these things. I know I do. But take heart. Remember, if you trust in Jesus, you have already received new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And nothing... Nothing will change that. I want your efforts, and there are efforts needed for this, I want your efforts to be driven by the gospel of Jesus Christ, friends. Not to earn his favor, but because you already have it. And may we, together as a community, keep hoping in holiness as we await the future return of our King, Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Our Father God, we thank you so much that we have already received new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And we thank you that this just isn't something for the future, but that it starts transforming us right now. So help us, Father, to set our hope on this future return of Christ. Help us to live in holiness. Help us to love one another and give us the strength to do those things when we don't feel like doing that or when we cannot. Thank you for your grace that you offer us to help in this time. And we pray this for your glory and your glory alone. Amen.